Well, good morning. My name is Bruce Dunning, and Pastor Paul asked me to step in for him for a few weeks to bring a couple of messages from God's Word. I think most of you know who I am, but for those who don't, I've been attending Lakeside since my wife Glenda and I moved up to Halliburton in 1991. We have three grown children and three wonderful grandchildren. I've worked at Mediva, a Christian camp in West Guilford, for four decades, and my current position is executive advisor. For quite a number of months now, Pastor Paul has been taking us through a study in the book of Matthew, where we've been exploring the wisdom of Jesus. For the next two weeks, I'd like us to turn our attention to the Old Testament and learn about wisdom in the book of Proverbs. I love the word of God, so it's a joy for me to be able to share with you some of the things that I've been learning recently. So, do you consider yourself to be a decisive person? Do you find it easy to make decisions? Is the decision usually obvious to you, like instantly knowing what you're going to order at a restaurant or where you're going to go on vacation? I know. Right now, because of COVID-19, we just dream about going to restaurants and having vacation options again. But someday that will come. Or when you do have options, do you find making decisions more difficult? You really aren't sure what to choose, and you can see yourself choosing any number of those options. Or maybe it's not easier choices like what to eat at a restaurant or where to go on vacation. How easy is it to find, do you find uh, making life choices like purchasing a new home or deciding what your next career should be? Even the most decisive among us often struggle making these major life-impacting decisions. I would guess that most of us tuning in today would turn to God's word as a source of guidance for decisions. From it, we often specifically know how to live. It teaches us God's moral law, that is, like not to lie and not to steal from others and to be pure in our thought life. And sometimes the Bible specifically says what God's will for our lives is. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, it simply says, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Three specific commands are given and described as God's will for us. So our only decision is whether or not we will do it. Other times, principles lead us to know what to do, like being patient or loving your neighbor. But in the vast majority of life decisions, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly what to do. Whether it's the way uh, uh, what home we should purchase or which job we should choose, um, what we do during these times, when the decision is not straightforward and obvious, is up is harder. It would be nice if God's word, uh, his will was clearly evident at all times, but God has created us with freedom of choice. God, in essence, says to us, you decide. The way we are able to make those decisions is to apply what the Bible calls wisdom. Wisdom is going to be the overall theme for us as we look into the book of Proverbs. Over the past year, I've been saturating my mind with studying Proverbs. As I began to study, I was reminded of what I was taught as a young man, that if I read one chapter of Proverbs each day, that I'd read the entire book through each month. 
As a young teen, I was given a small book containing the book of Proverbs in the Living Bible called The Living Proverbs. And I read it monthly for a long time. And it was significantly impacting to me. It's been a while since I'd done this, so I started doing the habit again this year. Actually, it's something that I would encourage us all to do as well. In addition to this, I did personal study, read many commentaries, listened to dozens of podcasts, and I very much look forward to sharing with you some of what I've been learning. Let's now look at some background of Proverbs. To understand Proverbs, we need to realize that the book was originally probably written as a training manual for young men. Notice how many times the phrase, my son, appears throughout the book of Proverbs. But of course, it applies to women as well. The book was written, secondly, by multiple authors. Proverbs specifically mentions three of them, Solomon, Agur in chapter 30, and King Lemuel in chapter 31. And it was probably refined over the years by many editors. I think that it's important that we keep in mind a few things as we read Proverbs. First, it was written as Hebrew poetry. One important feature often used in Hebrew poetry is what's called parallelism, where the idea is written in parallel lines. The first line makes a statement uh, about a truth, and the second line sharpens or intensifies the first part. It doesn't necessarily say the same thing, but it's related to the first. Second, it doesn't always contain universal truths, but rather context-sensitive truths. In other words, a statement is not necessarily true all of the time, but rather it depends on the context. For instance, if you read Proverbs um, as, a, as being a universal truth, you will find yourself getting into all sorts of trouble. For instance, compare Proverbs 26 verse 4 with the very next verse, 26 verse 5, and they look like they're contradicting one another. 26 verse 4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. But the very next verse seems to almost say the opposite thing. 26 verse 5 says, Answer the fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. How should you answer a fool? Well, it all depends on the context, and that's where wisdom comes in. Another example is Proverbs 22, verse 6, that says, Train a child in the way he should go, and when he was old, he will not turn from it. This is generally true, but is not a universal truth that is always true. Sadly, most of us can identify children in our lives, and perhaps even your own, who are raised in a consistent Christian home. But when they were older, they chose to leave Christianity. Proverbs 22, verse 6, is not a promise that is always true, but is rather a truth that is generally true. There is a much better chance of a child continuing in the way they were trained, and whatever way that is. Keep in mind that meaning must match uh, not only other Proverbs, but the broader revelation of Scripture too. Thirdly, Proverbs is not constructed in neatly laid out themes. Well, my Western way of thinking would have organized the book completely differently um, because I like having themes all together. But that's not how it was written. Although some themes are seen together, many times the ideas are scattered throughout the book. But in reading the book consistently over the years, 
I've seen the value of mixing up the themes to reinforce truths um, and to see life not in nearly neatly divided compartments, but rather as an indivisible whole. So I've come to appreciate the way that Proverbs was written. Nevertheless, to help us understand the book, I want to, wanted to see what were the most common contrasting themes in Proverbs. So I read the book through many times using a system to track the results that I invented and then synthesize those results. That's just how my mind naturally works. Based upon this, my plan over the next two weeks is to explore the top two contrasting themes of the book of Proverbs. Those themes include, number one, wisdom versus folly, the foundation of life. And number two, wise words, life versus death. In addition to these contrasting themes in Proverbs, there are at least 10 others, including the topics of wise wealth, where contentment is contrasted to envy, wise temperament, where patience is contrasted to anger, wise work, where diligence is contrasted to laziness, wise attitude, where humility is contrasted to pride, wise relationships, like friendships and neighbors, where good is contrasted to bad, wise parenting, where good is contrasted to bad. Even wise sexuality, where love is contrasted to lust. Wise justice, where justice is contrasted to injustice. And wise lifestyles, where the righteous are contrasted to the wicked. And finally, wise conflict, where peace is, conflict, is contrasted to strife. I would encourage you to look at these truths for yourself and read the book and let those truths penetrate your heart at another time. Today, we're going to look at the most common theme that is wisdom versus folly. The foundation of life is what I'm calling it. I'm calling it this because everything in Proverbs falls under this category. Wisdom is the most common theme and is incorporated into the rest of the themes. In the, my system I set up to determine the most contrasting themes, wisdom was found 277 times, Folly or foolishness was found 151 times, and together that's 428 times. That's two and a half times more than any other contrasting theme throughout the book. That's why we're going to look at it first, because it's certainly the most important. So what exactly is wisdom? There is a primary Hebrew word for wisdom that is translated wisdom, um, and we find it in Proverbs 1, verse 5, where it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's just the regular word for wisdom. But there are two common synonyms that are seen throughout the book, and I just thought I'd mention them now. Insight, uh, really, insight is knowing how things really work. And prudence, which is knowing what things are really like. Think of the detective character Sherlock Holmes. He is the one who notices other things that most miss. I considered many possible definitions of wisdom, but the one that I thought was the best came from a funny man, a funny name of a man called Tremper Longman III. In his book, How to Read Proverbs, he defines wisdom as follows. Knowing the right time and the right circumstance to apply the right principle to the right person. So four things knowing the right time and the right circumstance to apply the right principle to the right person. As I mentioned above, we need to see Proverbs as context-sensitive truths. 
The context of our situation determines how to apply Proverbs. And that takes wisdom. So how do you get wisdom? We're going to look at five ways that Proverbs describes the process of getting wisdom. First, Proverbs clearly says that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9 verse 10 reads, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The expression fear of the Lord is found 11 times in Proverbs. And actually, over the next two two weeks, I'd love you to memorize that verse because it's the key verse for the entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When we think of fear, we often get the idea of distancing ourselves from it. If we walk through the woods and, and see a bear or a wolf, we become still and back away slowly. We find ourselves going down an alley and a group of shady looking people are at the other end we probably would turn and walk the other way. But instead of cowering away and hiding ourselves in fear, this verse tells us to draw near in fear, reverence, respect, and get to know God personally. In this verse, fear and knowledge are linked together through parallelism. Our relationship with God is foundational for our thinking. It determines what we know about the world and how we know it. J.I. Packer, in his classic book called Knowing God, says the following, Not till we have become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down, can divine wisdom be ours. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Consider a couple of other well-known verses that tell us what the fear of the Lord looks like in actual practice, even though it doesn't actually use the word fear. The well-known verses, Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What do you fear? If God is your fear, there is nothing else that you are more afraid of losing, and there are two tests to tell. Number one, are you willing to do whatever God says in Scripture about this area, whether you agree or not? Number two, are you willing to accept anything that God sends your way in any area, whether you understand it or not? Do you fear contracting COVID-19 or perhaps fear the financial impact that might cause in your life or your loved one's lives? Or perhaps you've had other health issues. Actually, for me, for more than half a year, I've struggled with several nagging health concerns that have dominated my thoughts and feelings. I've had GI challenges and I've had continual headaches on my left side since mid-November. COVID-19 has not affected the health of anyone that I know directly, but I have certainly felt the financial impact at Mediba as we've had no groups that have been able to come and the summer is being threatened as well. I work hard to continue to remind myself that I will fear the Lord more than the uncertainty of health or of the economy. I am trying to choose trust rather than leaning on my own understanding, and I would encourage you to do the same.
What do you fear? Anything that we fear more than God becomes an idol for us. It becomes more important than God. To me, that very thought is sobering. Timothy Keller, a well-known author and pastor in New York City, says the following. 800 times, the idea of walking a path is used as a metaphor of living life. Why? Walking a path is accomplished by steady, repeated, mundane, boring actions. What really makes you and I is basically a product of how you do the little things every day. When talking about wisdom as a pathway, you become wise in taking on daily disciplines over and over again. Wisdom is a pathway and not a door. The third thing that Proverbs says about how we get wisdom is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to fear the Lord is to hate evil. Proverbs 8 verse 13 actually says those words. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. As we fear the Lord, we understand that he hates evil, and so must we. We align our thoughts and our actions with his, and that impacts our lifestyles. So when we hear about a terrible incident in the news, such as the recent mass shootings in Nova Scotia, our hearts are broken as God's heart is broken, and a passion rises inside of us to hate the evil behind the story. The fourth thing that we learn about how we get wisdom is that wisdom comes from the Lord. Proverbs 2 verse 6 reads, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Which makes sense since Proverbs teaches that wisdom was with God from the beginning. See Proverbs 3 verse 19 that says, By wisdom the Lord laid the foundations of the earth. And it goes on to talk about how he did all of creation through wisdom. So when faced with decisions in our lives, we are told to ask the Lord for wisdom. As, the, as he is the source of all wisdom. I'm going to refer to this again in a minute, but when we look at what is taught in the rest of Scripture, in particular, the book of James. A final thing to note about how we get wisdom is that it is offered to those who seek it. It is interesting to note that wisdom is portrayed as a woman. Think this, I think this makes sense when you remember that Proverbs was probably originally written to young males. Let me read Proverbs 8 verses 1 to 4. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading to the city, at the entrances, she cries aloud, To you men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. Wisdom is not forced upon us, but calls out to us and invites us to seek it. We simply need to respond. In stark contrast to wisdom is folly or foolishness. It is interesting to note that folly is also portrayed as a woman in Proverbs. Proverbs 9 verses 13 to 16 says, The woman folly is loud. She is undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house on the seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come here, she says to those who lack judgment. 
The choice is clear. Both wisdom and folly stand at the gate and invite people to follow their paths. The path we choose is up to us. The invitation of folly can seem like the perfect choice at the time. It often promises instant gratification and happiness, but in the end, it will deliver emptiness and sorrow. Are you willing to recommit to the process of choosing wisdom in the daily choices you face? Both weeks, I am planning to show how the theme for of the week will be addressed in broader scripture. This will in no way be exhaustive, but it should serve as a reminder that all of scripture must be interpreted in light of the broader revelation of God's word. Here are a few key verses about wisdom in broader scripture. Romans 11 verse 33 says, Oh, the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Just like we, uh, we saw in Proverbs, the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God is also connected here in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 29. A long passage, but bear with me. I'd like to read it out loud because it's so good. For the message of the cross, Paul writes, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its thoughts did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and get this, the wisdom of God. Christ is called the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think that not none of you were um, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential and not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolishest things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that one may not, uh, no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ, who has become for us, again, it says, the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let him who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Wow, what a powerful passage that reminds us that Christ is the wisdom of God. And the source of all boasting about anything in life is not from ourselves, but from the Lord. I previously mentioned I was going to refer to the book of James. Sometimes the book of James is, is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. So let's read James 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea 
blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all that he does. These words are simple and remind us of what we learned in Proverbs. God is the source of wisdom, and we are encouraged to simply ask him when we need it, and we have the promise that he will provide it. Isn't that amazing? Now let me summarize what I've been said this morning. Although scripture gives us the moral guidelines for the vast majority of life decisions that we face each day, we need to apply wisdom. Wisdom is the most common theme and is incorporated through all the rest of the themes in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is like a training manual for young males, although it has broader application to women as well. It's written as in Hebrew poetry, and it doesn't always contain universal truths, but rather context-sensitive truths. And the definitions we chose was that wisdom is knowing the right time and the right circumstance to apply the right principle to the right person. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And if God is your fear, there is nothing else that you are more afraid of losing. Wisdom and folly both cry out for us to follow them. And if we seek wisdom, God will give it to us. Will you commit to seeking wisdom through fearing the Lord this week? So today we looked at the most common contrasting thing in the book of Proverbs. That is wisdom versus folly, and really which is the foundation of life. And next week we're going to look at the second most common, which is about our words, the vocabulary we use, and it's called life versus death. In addition to hearing the message this morning, I would highly encourage you to do three optional assignments if you have time. And sometimes those of us who are sitting at home have a little more time these days. Number one is, as I mentioned before, start reading Proverbs uh, a chapter a day. It doesn't take that long. And let the wisdom of the book soak into our minds. Number two, as I mentioned before, memorize the key verse, which is Proverbs 9, verse 10. Say it together with me now, if you could. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9, verse 10. And third is I've supplied a handout that has some verses, and plus it mentions all the verses that we talked about today in the message. And if you'd like to access that, I'm not sure how it's going to actually be offered, but I, I think it'll be clearly uh, indicated on the website. So thank you for listening. And I look forward to seeing you next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me. My email address is simply bruce at Thank you very much. And God bless.